Hi, my name is Arthur, and I'm a Californian. I used to work as a ranger at Sequoia National Park from 1994 to 1997. Before I start, I just want to say that I'm crying as I write this because the memories are extremely traumatic. It happened in 1997 in my last year working as a ranger. It was also this event that got me fired. I was patrolling an area that was not very frequented by visitors because of the density of the bushes and because it was an easy area to get lost. I had received a report of loud sounds coming from there, sounds that were scaring the visitors, making them think there was a bear on the loose or something. It was noon, and I was driving around the area with a jeep and a tranquilizer rifle, just in case something was really there. I spent one hour driving around, and I stopped the jeep, exited it, and was standing by the open door. I was about to pick up my walkie-talkie and report the situation to one of the other rangers that were patrolling the other side when I heard something on my left, a loud growl. I looked, and there was a big reddish-brown thing with wide shoulders, long arms, and huge human hands looking at me. This part really breaks me every time I remember it, because I got paralyzed in fear at the moment, because this thing was bigger than any grizzly bear and was glaring at me with a face that I can only describe as a hungry predator. I felt like an ambushed prey. I stood there, and this thing charged at me with full force, and I entered the jeep almost instantly. The creature crashed into the jeep, breaking the door's window, and the thing grunted in pain. I turned the jeep on and accelerated beyond the speed limit of the park. I looked behind for a second, and this monster was running after the jeep on all fours, just like a chimp. I panicked even more and I increased the speed, and some curves later I finally lost him. I arrived at the ranger station, and there was nobody there. I remember being so panicked that I locked myself inside a bathroom, and I'm certain that I fainted because I remember that everything went black. When I woke up, it was 9pm, and the other rangers were looking for me. My boss confronted me about the jeep having one of the sides damaged with the broken window, and when I told him that a big animal attacked me, he got angry at me, called me a liar who sleeps on the job, and accused me of crashing the jeep on a tree and making stories up to not to get in trouble and fired me. I did years and years of therapy, and it didn't work. The memories still haunt me, and I still have nightmares and sudden panic attacks. I know the thing that tried to snatch me was a Bigfoot and not a bear. Bears don't have human faces, human hands, and wide shoulders, and they don't have freakishly long limbs. I lived with these memories for more than 20 years, and this is my first time telling this story ever since. Thank you for reading this. Four and a half to five years ago, I found myself in the depths of Black Bear Swamp, a remote and secluded area known for its dense vegetation and elusive wildlife. It was a place where nature reigned supreme, and the boundaries between reality and the extraordinary often blurred. That day, I was accompanied by my girlfriend, Sarah, as we embarked on a leisurely hike through the swamp. The air was thick with humidity, and the sounds of chirping birds and rustling leaves filled the atmosphere. We reveled in the tranquility of the untouched wilderness, blissfully unaware of the astonishing events that were about to unfold. As we made our way through the thick undergrowth, 
a sudden thud resonated through the air, followed by a loud crack against the trunk of a towering pine tree. Startled, Sarah turned towards me, her eyes wide with alarm. Did you throw that rock at me? She accused, her voice trembling with a mix of confusion and anger. Taken aback by her accusation, I quickly denied any involvement. My mind raced, trying to comprehend what had just happened. It was impossible for me to have thrown a rock with such force and accuracy. Something else was at play. Our attention was abruptly diverted as movement caught our peripheral vision. Peering through the dense brush, we glimpsed a figure, large and hulking, swiftly making its way through the undergrowth. At first, we mistook it for a deer, but as it emerged into a clearing, the truth became undeniable. Before us stood a creature that defied explanation a Bigfoot. Its massive frame towered over the surrounding foliage, and its dark, shaggy fur blended seamlessly with the shadows. The creature moved with a grace and agility that belied its immense size. It cast a glance in our direction, its piercing eyes seeming to hold a hint of intelligence and curiosity. He just stared at us for a minute, and the Desay paired into wilderness. True story. My fiancé has a really good one from when he was at West Point, the military academy. So there's a lot of haunted parts of West Point since it's so old, and tons of legends or ghost stories told by the cadets from over the years. It was during the summer, and the place was basically empty. He was on night duty for one of the oldest barracks on the campus. All night long, he kept hearing someone walking around on one of the floors above him, and when he would go up and check it out, this one room would have a light turned on. He kept turning off the light, locking the door, and then would go back down to his desk on the main floor. He said at first he thought someone was just messing with him, but then it started getting really annoying. So around 2 a.m., he gets a phone call from someone, a brigade commander or something. This guy starts screaming at him on the phone. Cadet, I'm looking at Scott Barracks, not sure if it was actually Scott, but for the story's sake, it's Scott Barracks right now, and I see a light on the third floor. Go take care of that light. So my fiancé, fed up at this point, goes upstairs again, unlocks the room door, and turns off the light again. An hour later, he gets another call. Cadet, this is Lieutenant Colonel Mayer, and I'm looking at Scott Barracks, and that light on the third floor is still on. I want you to go turn it off, and then meet me at Thayer Statue to explain why you can't follow basic orders. Thayer Statue was a common meeting point for cadets, so after going up to the third floor one again, my fiancé makes his way to the statue to get chewed out by this lieutenant colonel and explain that the light kept going on even after he turned it off. At this point, he was super creeped out, and it was really late, like 3 a.m., so he made one of his friends come with him, so they that they could both explain to this brigade commander what was going on. They get to the statue and wait. No one comes. They keep waiting, because the last thing they want is to get in trouble for not waiting for a lieutenant colonel on top of the light. After an hour, no one came. They decide to leave. The next morning, he decided to tell his company commander what happened with the light and mentioned that Lieutenant Colonel Mayer had called them and then never showed up to Thayer's statue to talk.
The company commander turned pale, looked at my fiancé, and asked him if he was sure it was Lieutenant Colonel Mayer who had called. My fiancé was like, yeah, I'm sure, he yelled at me twice and made me walk to meet him at 3 a.m. about it. Apparently, a decade earlier, a Lieutenant Colonel Mayer had committed S in those barracks in that room on the third floor. So my fiancé swears up and down that his ghost had called him that night and had kept turning on the lights in that room. I grew up in Alaska, just on the bubble of civilization, sort of. Up there even in the big cities you'll get bears and moose and such. I was walking home from the bus stop. Our driveway was about a half mile long through woods. I heard noise to my right and stopped, hoping it was anything other than the one animal that scares me. And then it stepped out of the trees. I froze. My blood felt cold and stopped in my veins. A moose, full-grown female, was standing maybe twenty feet from me in the middle of the road. It stopped and turned to look at me. I was scared with no backup plan. What can a twelve or so year old do against a full-grown moose? Then, it happened. I heard another noise. Behind me. I truly thought I was dead. I thought my life is now over. I'm about to be between a mama and a baby moose, and I'm going to die. I remember feeling frozen, and not at all tranquil and at peace. I couldn't even scream. From the edge of my eyesight, I saw the second moose emerge from the thick stand of alder trees and disappear behind me. I could hear the steps on the soft dirt. My eyes locked on to the moose in front of me, trying to will it to stay calm. I stopped breathing and then felt it, a gentle whoosh of warm air down the back of my neck, followed by the unmistakable sound of a forced inhale. The moose behind me was sniffing my head. I could feel the breath, hear the nostrils flare. Some neighbor had dogs, off through the woods a ways, and they must have gotten out of their yard. They started barking inside the trees and startled both moose that turned and ran back the way they came, crashing into the small trees and leaving. To this day, the only animal I'm afraid of is moose. I've been fishing with brown bears, had black bears say hi as they walked by my camp. Mountain lions stalk us and then leave. Doesn't rattle me until I see a cow moose alone, and then I just hope to whatever is higher than me that I'm not between her and her cub. This is a strange story, but interesting nonetheless, so I thought I should share it to see if anybody could do anything with it. I have a videotape of my great-grandma from when I was kid. She was sitting around with her sisters talking about old stories from when they were kids. One sister started talking about a story her father, my great-great-grandpa, made her promise to never talk about. But since she was over 90 years old, she didn't think it mattered anymore. She was very flustered still just talking about it. The best we can tell, this event took place in the Logansport, Indiana area in approximately the 1890s or so. My great-aunt was taking food to her father and grandfather, working the fields all day as she did every day. She would take a horse and cart out to where they were working, have lunch, then come back home. On this particular day, she could not find her father or grandfather. 
She then heard them yelling at her to get inside the woods nearby and hide. She complied, and that's where they began telling her that they have been watching some sort of flying machine that didn't make any sort of noise flying around the field. They supposedly watched little people get out of the craft and take pieces of corn and soil, then they flew away. The uncle and father had been hiding in the woods for some time afraid to leave. All the people in the video have now passed on, but my grandma, who is now in her mid-80s, the daughter in the story's niece, gave me this tape because she was curious if I could find any other reports from that time frame of anybody reporting the same sort of thing. I have the tape of the story, and that's about it. It's just a story, but interesting. I've seen a lot of the usual stuff out in northwestern Canada, but the only thing that made me really think twice about going into the woods out, there was not wanting to find a body. There are dozens, hundreds of unsolved missing persons cases out there, many of them indigenous women, but some men and white people as well. There are signs up everywhere with information about the missing. I hope they're found and their families find some closure but I dreaded being the one to come across the corpse. The other thing that made me think twice was the bullet holes everywhere. Blowing holes in highway signs is bad, but these F-heads would shoot up outhouses. Nothing like taking a dump and counting the bullet holes in front of your face. Canada has some stricter gun laws than the states, but people still make bad decisions. So nothing really spooky, just people. I used to spend weekends and summers hunting alongside my grandfather when I was in middle school. He taught me the ways of the woods, the patience required, and the respect for nature. It was a bonding experience, one that I cherished deeply. One autumn afternoon, as the sun cast a golden glow upon the forest, I took aim and shot a doe, my first successful hunt. The crack of the rifle echoed through the trees and I felt a mix of excitement and pride wash over me. Little did I know that this experience would forever change my perspective on hunting. As I approached the fallen doe, ready to field dress and prepare it for consumption, I noticed movement out of the corner of my eye. A fawn, no larger than a puppy, emerged from the underbrush. It had been hidden, obscured by the tall grass and the shadows of the forest. The realization hit me like a punch to the gut. I had unknowingly orphaned this young creature. The fawn stood there, its innocent eyes wide with confusion and fear. It emitted a series of high-pitched cries, almost like mournful wails, as if desperately trying to wake its mother from an eternal slumber. My heart shattered into a million pieces as I watched this tiny creature grieve the loss of its parent. In that moment, the thrill of the hunt vanished, replaced by an overwhelming sense of guilt and remorse. I couldn't bear witness to this heartbreaking scene any longer. Tears welled up in my eyes as I made the decision that would shape my future I vowed to never hunt again. My grandfather, understanding the weight of the situation, put his hand on my shoulder, offering silent support. He, too, had witnessed the emotional toll that hunting could exact. We carried the doe back to our truck in silence, our spirits heavy with sorrow. From that day forward, I turned away from hunting and embraced a different path, 
a path that involved appreciating and protecting wildlife rather than taking their lives. I dedicated myself to conservation efforts, learning about the delicate balance of ecosystems and the importance of coexisting with the natural world. That encounter with the fawn remains one of the saddest experiences of my life. It serves as a constant reminder of the profound impact we have on the lives of animals and the responsibility we bear as stewards of the earth. Though I will never hunt again, I strive to ensure that future generations appreciate and preserve the beauty and wonder of our natural world. I worked in New York Harbor for quite a few years on tugboats, assisting large ships in and out of the harbor. I work offshore now and unfortunately haven't seen anything too creepy out here. To set this up, spoiler being that it's not supernatural, New York Harbor is busy. All commercial boats communicate with each other on one VHF station. If you're interested, get a VHF handheld and tune into VHF 13 sometime. Where we're going, what we're doing, how we're going to meet, etc. Everyone uses this station. Rugs, badges, ships, ferries, coast guard, well-crewed yachts, etc. So it's jam-packed, always esky-waking. Pretty annoying sometimes. I came into work a day after Hurricane Sandy hit New York. Disregarding the hazards of driving the roads on Staten Island where the boats are stationed, the entire harbor was shut down due to fears of debris and shoaling caused by the storm surge. For the next week, I sat on the boat, getting paid, waiting for the harbor to open. The point I'm getting to is that the radio was dead silent, one of the busiest and congested waterways in the U.S., and nobody was moving. Nobody was talking. You could turn the interference rejection all the way down, the volume all the way up, and only hear a faint background buzz. It just felt wrong, unnatural, a bit of a post-apocalyptic vibe. Anyway, that's my creepy sea-related story. Texas Hunter here. I've been hunting for a few years, so I've seen my fair share of weird shit. Rabbits killed by coyotes, among other things. Bobcat screams are also pretty freaky. But one day, while walking on my property through the woods, I heard some branches quietly break about 30 yards ahead. Nothing too weird about that as rabbits and coyotes bump into them all the time. It happened again, but this time a little closed and to my right side. I unholstered my .45 XDS. I like the compact version because it feels better. Ready to shoot a hungry coyote. The day before my neighbor told me how a few women in Little Elm got mauled by some pissed off coyotes a few days earlier. So I was ready to shoot. Anyways, I shined my flashlight through the trees and didn't see anything. Kept walking, but a little faster, and I heard a high scream with low undertones. Didn't sound like nothing I've ever heard before. I swear it sounded like a Bobcat F. Ed Batman. Took off sprinting back to my house a mile or so away. I'm near the woods tree line and look back to see a hunched shadow 40 yards behind starring at me. Like a person trying to walk on all for us. It was dark so it might have been my imagination. Noped the F out and got to my house. Never seen it since and didn't sleep for a few nights. At the time I wasn't hunting, 
I like to go for nighttime walks to clear my head, but I never go without my gun. Stay safe and be careful because I don't know what it was. Have you ever heard about the real stories of Okinawa ghosts? Having personally experienced numerous eerie moments while working in the now abandoned naval hospital Okinawa, I can attest to the lingering presence of the supernatural. The hospital, now a mere empty shell, stands on Camp Lester, but its basement harbors a haunting secret, an enduring reminder of its gruesome past. Blood stains still mar the walls, bearing witness to the horrors that once unfolded within. During my fourth year, just before my permanent change of station PCS, I had a spine-chilling encounter. One of the janitors, a sweet elderly Japanese man who had been a part of the hospital for decades, took me down to the basement. He revealed to me that it had been the morgue, a place where he had witnessed unspeakable sights. He recounted how he had painstakingly collected body parts that had fallen out of the body bags. The gruesome memories of the hospital's early days had left an indelible mark on his soul. However, it was my own personal experience on the fifth deck ramp that truly sent shivers down my spine. I often ascended the stairs to assist with labor and delivery, and the hospital had ramps in place to facilitate movement during typhoons or elevator malfunctions. It was on one such occasion that I found myself transporting a peacefully sleeping mother to the postpartum ward. As I glanced out of the window, an image froze me in my tracks ahead, a floating head right outside the window. The sight was undeniably terrifying. Others had witnessed it too, confirming my belief that I was not alone in this eerie encounter. Yet, despite the corroboration of others, I could not shake off the feeling of unease that gripped me whenever the memory resurfaced. In my mind, I attributed it to the exhaustion and sleep deprivation that often plagued those who worked within the hospital's haunted halls. About ten years ago, I was home alone, sitting in the den watching TV. The doorway to the den opened up into a hallway and just across the hallway and offset a little ways was the doorway that went into the kitchen. Setting in my recliner, I could see into the hallway, and if I leaned back enough, I could see partway into the kitchen. So anyway, I'm sitting there watching TV, and I hear something. I look into the hallway, and don't laugh, there's a pecan rolling down the hallway. My first reaction is, there's someone in the kitchen messing with me. I lean back and look into the kitchen, there's no one there. On the far side of the kitchen is another door that goes into another hallway that if you take a right it goes out back, a left will take you out front into the carport. I get up and go look. Both doors are shut and locked and no one around. I picked up the pecan, put it back in the bucket which was setting in the hallway by the back door, and go back to my recliner. Few minutes later another pecan goes rolling down the hallway. I bolted out of my chair like my butt was on fire trying to catch whoever was doing it. Same story, no one around but me, and both doors were still shut and locked. Now I guess is the time to say, I'm not a believer in ghost, but I'm having second thoughts. I put the pecan back in the bucket, check the doors one more time and go back to my chair. Just a few more minutes in my chair, 
and another pecan goes rolling down the hallway. I get up, go pick up the pecan and outload, I said, okay, I'm tired of picking up your shit, stop it now. I put the pecan back in the bucket, went back to my chair, and nothing ever happened again. To this day, I still don't know what was doing it. My youngest daughter swears the house was haunted. She claims to have woken up in the middle of the night with someone, a man, standing at the foot of her bed watching her. He was dressed in a Civil War uniform. I never asked her if he was from the North or South. She said he never made any attempt harm her. She just put her head under the covers, and after a few minutes he'd be gone. But it happened enough that it spooked her pretty good. Her bedroom was upstairs. She wouldn't go to her bedroom at night if she was the only one at home. Instead, she'd stay in the living room with every light in the house on and the front door open for a fast getaway. <laughs>